Do you know that less than 1% of practicing agents have taken a course on how to negotiate effectively? Let's get you into that 1% today. Stay tuned. This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by Real Geeks. How many homes are you going to sell this year? Do you have the right tools? Is your website turning soft leads into interested buyers? Are you spending money on leads that aren't converting? Well, Real Geeks is your solution. Find out why agents across the country choose Real Geeks as their technology partner. Real Geeks was created by an agent for agents. They pride themselves on delivering a sales and marketing solution so that you can easily generate more business. Their agent websites are fast and built for lead conversion version with a smooth search experience for your visitors. Real Geeks also includes an easy-to-use agent CRM, so once a lead signs up on your website, you can track their interest and have great follow-up conversations. Real Geeks is loaded with a ton of marketing tools to nurture your leads and increase brand awareness. Visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod and find out why realtors come to Real Geeks to generate more business. Again, visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod. And now, on to our show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris. I am your guide and host through the show. And in just a moment, we're going to be speaking with top 1% producer and master trainer, Eric Davy Gislason. Uh, before we get to Eric, just a couple of quick reminders. Guys, best way you can help us at our show, if we're helping you, is by a couple of ways. Tell a friend. Think of one other realtor that could benefit. Like today's topic is a lot about negotiation. And so we're going to, this is a topic everybody needs to be aware of. So send this over to other agents in your office. We would appreciate it. And the second way to support our show is by supporting our sponsors. We have the greatest sponsors in the world. They pay the bills for all of us. So please check out their products and services. I promise you every sponsor we have on our show has been thoroughly vetted. They are the real deal. And I wouldn't put anyone in front of you that wasn't going to help your business. So check them out, please. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, let's get to the main event. My conversation with Eric Dislison. show, we have Eric Davy Gislason with Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. Let me tell you more about Eric. Now, Eric Davy Gislason is a master certified negotiation expert. He's also a national instructor for the Real Estate Negotiation Institute and founder of Archway Partners Coaching. Now, in addition, he's a practicing associate real estate broker at Brown Harris Stevens with 17 years of experience in residential real estate as an agent, manager, trainer, and director of sales. Eric is a well-known speaker, panelist, podcast guest, and contributor on the subject of collaborative negotiation, value proposition, and persuasion. He authors the blogs Unreal Estate and Growing the Pie, and you can follow and subscribe 
at Eric the Expert, uh, which is on all the social channels, in particular YouTube and Instagram. We will have links to that in the show notes. But to see his video content on social media, Eric is also originally from Minnesota and lives in Queens, New York City. I'll actually be coming to Queens in a month. Maybe I'll uh, ask for some uh, some advice before I go to the U.S. Open. Um, and with his wife and two daughters. By the way, notable award winner. He is the world's best dad, 2012 through 2015. Uh, skipped a year, but in 2017 won it again. Skipped another year in 2018, but he was back to win it in 2019 through present day. Uh, please, I'm going to give you a couple of things to follow Eric on. All of these things are really cool and, and, and interesting. So please listen. We will have links to all of what I'm about to say in the show notes. But what, go to his coaching company for realtors, which is called archwaypartnersinc.com. Uh, also, if you're interested, and you should be, to become a certified negotiation expert, go to therenny.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-N-I, and I'll, we'll see all the, the classes that you can attend there. And then again, follow him on Instagram and YouTube, Eric the Expert, which is E-I-R-I-K-T-H-E Expert, uh, at YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else. And we will have links to all of that so you don't have to remember how to spell Eric in the show notes. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, DJ. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of the plugs. And um, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I'm looking forward to our conversation. So thanks for having well, me. I am uh, looking forward to it as well. Um, I would like to start, I guess, at the start. So I do that with with almost all of our guests, but I am really interested, especially with somebody who's been in real estate for almost 20 years now. Um, how did you get in and, and why? Well, uh, I love telling the story and many, like many of your guests, as I listen to your podcasts, you know, there's, um, it seems like we all have these strange ways of finding real estate. You know, it's not something that, it, that seems like is the beginning of our path as we grow up and, and, uh, go through school and into college. So I actually uh, moved to New York city to be an actor. Um, back in, in uh, 1998, after graduating from college and starting a theater company in, um, in, in Minneapolis before moving to New York. So I had dreams of becoming an actor. I, I was an actor in New York for about 10 years. I did the tour thing and I did regional theater and uh, commercials and voiceover work. And then I met my wife um, and, uh, doing a regional theater job in Roanoke, Virginia. She was a dancer. I was a, a, a character actor and, and a singer. And, um, and shortly after that, I think I realized that, um, the theater world gave me what it was going to give me. And I, I, I found my wife and, uh, and, and I needed to make a change. I was not a successful actor. I was not making a great living doing it. Um, and so shortly after getting married, I was recovering from a, from a knee injury, from knee surgery, and I was temping. I, was, I couldn't work in restaurants anymore because of my knee. I, I was not acting. And I, and I met somebody who was at a temp job, but was also taking phone calls for real estate. And he's the first person that actually gave me a real kind of behind the scenes or, or you know, um, under the hood look at what real estate was without sugarcoating it, without making it into this fantasy. And he said, look, you see, I'm here at this temp job because sometimes, you know, the money is flowing and sometimes it's not. I'm trying to go to law school. And so you do what you have to do, but here are the skills required and here's what would make a good real estate professional. And I left that temp job thinking, I think this is something I would be good at. And so the next week it, I signed up for pre-licensing in New York. The pre-licensing process is ridiculously easy. 
Um, it's a little bit harder now than it was, but it was a couple hundred dollars and 45 hours worth of, court, of classroom work and then taking your tests. So two weeks later, there I am. I'm a, re I'm a licensed real estate professional looking for a, for a brokerage. And I was lucky enough to align myself with a company, uh, a small company that was really good at ge helping generate and uh, acquire leads for their agents. So I didn't have to do the whole Craigslist thing, getting my own leads. Um, and I was able to hone my craft working with a lot of clients because I was given opportunities. I was given at-bats, as we say. And uh, so I spent 10 years at that company, 10 years at that firm before then um, leaping and, uh, and, and going back into brokerage after being a director of sales and development for five years. So I grew with that firm. They were a small firm and I grew that firm um, in management and then went back into the field as an agent. And then shortly after that, I was introduced to the Real Estate Negotiation Institute. So I had, I had 10 years of experience in the business and I took a continuing education course uh, on collaborative negotiation through this company, the Real Estate Negotiation Institute. And I left that class completely blown away, blown away by the content, blown away by the, the style of, of the teaching, blown away by everything. And I uh, shortly thereafter contacted Tom Heyman, who's the founder and CEO of the Real Estate Negotiation Institute. And I said, I think I need to coach for you. I think I need to be an instructor. So I so that started my journey being a uh, master certified negotiation expert and a national instructor for the Real Estate Negotiation Institute, which I've been doing now for almost eight years while also having a full-time uh, real estate practice at Brown Harris Stevens. Wow. And we should mention too that you have a coaching company for yes. real estate agents, Archway mm -hmm. Partners Inc. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting, Mike. I, I was doing, when I teach my courses, my, my negotiation courses, I always inevitably have a few agents who want some additional coaching, who want some additional help. And what I started doing was doing more mentorship, consulting. I called it coaching and it wasn't. And it wasn't until I went on the journey of actually going through a coaching program. I went through a program at Coach U for, for um, several months and then got my own mentor coach um, so that I could really learn what it is to coach, what it is to walk alongside someone, support them, and, and uh, be more of an accountability partner and a support uh, for them in their journey. What is it that they want to achieve? What is it that they want to do with their real estate career? What are your core values? Where have you been? Where are you? And where do you want to go? And when I really started to understand my role as a coach, it became this beautiful marriage because what we talk about in, uh, in the certified negotiation uh, expert designation courses is this idea of value proposition, right? The cost benefit analysis. And what are your benefits? How do you develop that value proposition? How do you understand what you have to offer any decision maker, any purchaser, any landlord, right? So that's our jumping off point. That's our tangent point, the value proposition. And when we look at that through a coaching lens, there are so many places we can go with that when we understand who we are, when we understand what we offer, and then how do we tailor that to each and every client. So that's where Archway Partners, the, you know, the, the idea of the, of the archway, the doorway, and walking through to new possibilities uh, came from. And, and uh, now I've had my coaching company for about uh, 18 months now. That's inc incredible. Congratulations Thank on you. that. I was, I was thinking if I were an agent in New York City, 
one of the, and really anywhere, but specifically because you practice in New York City. Uh, and I want to talk about what the benefits are to becoming a certified negotiation expert and, and why collaborative um, cooperation uh, is is really, uh, sorry, co- collaborative um I apologize for the the term that you use that I oh cooperation fits right in there so no, yeah, no it, worries. I, yeah. I, I I was thinking a couple of things I, I want to talk about with that um, because you, you've sort of uh, sparked uh, something that that I hadn't thought of before um, but um, I do want to mention before I get too in depth and I always forget to mention this but if you are an agent in the New York uh, area New York City in particular um, Eric's team is always looking for talented agents to you know add value and where they can add value to you so I was thinking as you were talking if I was looking for for a team uh, one of the things that agents I think these these days just behind the scenes for a lot of people if if you're not sort of even haven't figured this out yet working as an agent a lot of times the managing brokers of firms are have a lot of responsibilities they have to recruit talent they have to retain talent they have to do all the operations and the compliance and they have to also coach and and train mm-hmm. so over the years what managing brokers have kind of figured out is hmm, if we have some really great teams sometimes the teams can help take over some of those responsibilities specifically around training and coaching right makes sense right. and eric is a professional coach and trainer and a certified negotiation master uh, trainer. So if I were an agent and I was like, hmm, I'm not quite getting the um, the love and training and, and support that I need at my existing firm, I would be reaching out. So definitely reach out to him. Again, easiest way is just find him online. Um, you can find him at Eric the Agent. Again, that's E-I-R-I-K, the agent. We'll have a, I'm sorry, Eric the Expert, rather. Eric the Expert, uh, Instagram, YouTube, et cetera. We'll have links to that if you are thinking this is the year for where a lot of agents are moving. So yeah. I'd be remiss if I forgot to mention that. But here's well, what I thank really you. wanted to thank you. For you're that. welcome. Here's <laughs> what I really wanted to ask you while you were talking about collaborative, um, th- this sort of collaborative training. Uh, you know, I was thinking, as you go into negotiations, or when you go into a deal, I would think that the vast majority of agents who haven't been trained on value proposition are, are probably just thinking about their own wants and needs and thinking, how do we get what yeah. we want without thinking, as you were saying, sort of understanding the the holistic uh, deal. What does the other side want? What are their motivations? Right. What are they willing to just sort of negotiate and bend on? And I think that is such a, an important skill that really isn't hardly taught anywhere. It's so true. It is so true. And, and one of the things that drew me to the, the Real Estate Negotiation Institute and this content is exactly what you just said. This is not something that we are taught in pre-licensing. Some people bring it from their earlier career if they're, if if new, if a real estate is a is a second career for them, but it's not something that we're taught. And and frankly, to your point, a lot of managing directors and office managers and sales directors, and I was a sales director for a long time. You're so involved with so many things within each and every deal that it's hard to sit down and have time to really get deep and train on negotiation and buyer psychology and this idea of understanding the other side's needs. Not that you're gonna guarantee them anything, not that you can guarantee them anything, but when we when we integrate the other side's needs into our strategy, this is what Tom Heyman calls, um, he calls it the enlightened self-interest. When, when I know what the other side wants, and I do my best to incorporate their needs, their value elements into trades, into exchanges in the deal, I can actually grow a bigger pie. And that's the reason my one of my two blogs is called Growing the Pie. 
because we're not talking about just a fixed pie of, 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 of value when we're talking about a real estate transaction. Everybody values things differently. And if I can identify what the other side wants and needs and identify ways to exchange things of lesser value to me to get things of greater value to me from the other side and do that strategically, I can actually make that pie bigger. And I can, and I'm not, you know, I want the other side to be adequately satisfied. I don't need them to, you know, it's not kumbaya by the fire, right? This is not split the pie 50-50. I want them to be adequately satisfied so I don't deal with the retribution or the entrenchment, the things that come along with put, putting someone on their heels or rubbing their nose in the dirt or whatever the, the, the imagery is. I need to adequately satisfy them. And when I do that, I can actually create more value on my side of the transaction and get more than I would if I were just trying to split that fixed pie. Yeah, it, it, I agree. And that's a skill set. And it isn't mm -hmm. necessarily something that we all just can instinctively or inherently know ourselves. It's it's Correct. something there are in I study DBT, uh, dialectic behavior therapy, and there's a, one of their modules is called interpersonal effectiveness, which is like, okay, what does that really mean? It, it's about having difficult conversations with people. Uh, and, and in real estate, we oftentimes have to have difficult conversations. And it's about how to meet both people's needs. Uh, at, but first, you have to understand their needs. And I was thinking yeah. an example that I'm curious to get your thoughts on would, would be, I have a buyer, uh, we're putting in a contract, maybe there's a multiple offer situation. And I'm just thinking, well, highest and best is going to win, which maybe most of the time is, is true, but not always, of course. And knowing what the other side's motivations are, knowing what they want from a buyer, and maybe it's just highest and best, or maybe it's, we put a lot of work into this house. We sort of want the next family that comes in to sort of understand and appreciate and respect what we've done because we want to, we want to sort of create a little bit of a legacy here, even with our existing, you know, work that we did with the home. So I guess, would that be considered part Absolutely. of understanding? Absolutely. And, and I'm, you know, this is, this is such a part of who we are as human beings. And we forget it sometimes as real estate professionals, because we put everything into down payment timeline and, and highest price when that is not how um, every human being thinks. In fact, we, it's not like, um, you know, let's say that, that you are in a highest and best and it's a million dollar property. And you've got a few buyers who are above the asking price at 1.1. But let's say that you are at 1.08. You're $20,000 off of the highest bidder. But you have made some sort of an appeal that is not price related or down payment related that, uh, that, it, that, is, that is important to or that lands with that seller. It's not that they're giving up $1.1 million. They're making a trade on $20,000. And the question is, what is that thing, that connection, the fact that somebody is going to come in and take care of that home the way that they took care of that home, right? What is, the, what is that one thing or that, as Chris Voss, for Never Split the Difference, yeah. that he calls those black swans, right? What is that black swan? If there's something that I can find out by being ceaselessly curious, by asking questions of the other side, that gives me a window into what they really want and what they really value, then they they might be happy to give up $20,000 to satisfy that need, that value element that's important to them. So we often mistake this idea that that you know the the price is the only thing that matters or if I'm not 100% if I'm not all cash, I can't compete. 
It's just not true. If we can understand, if we can start with the other side and uncover those black swans, understand those value elements. So that's a great example. Well, it, it, thank you. And, and I was, it's just the first thing that came to mind, but I was thinking, you know, your, your example, your sort of further example of, you know, being $20,000 under highest and best and still possibly winning the deal. It, it's really an important thing because most times the other side isn't going to be able to go out and spend that 20,000 as cash. It's probably just going into the next property and, you know, odds are there may even be a, a, a mortgage on the fall on the next property. So that's just all going in to, you know, an extra 50 bucks a month or something and right. in, in payment, it's, it's, it's kind of a really a nothing. If it's only looked at as highest and best, then yeah, maybe that's, maybe that, that will make the difference. But understanding that, you know, I, yeah, we're coming in a little bit under, but I sort of have an idea of what the owner wants and, you know, and, and being able to, to meet their needs in a different way and still get your clients a little bit less than, than maybe, you know, what, what everyone else would have paid. I, I love, I love all yeah. of this. And again, to me, these are all skills and we are not taught about these in, in high school, uh, I didn't learn them in college. I had to study persuasion and understanding rapport and understanding how to, you know, how how to listen and, and how to, you know, sort of extract information, um, you know, in an elegant way from the people I'm chatting with. So I would, I yeah. would love to. But actually, before before we go any further, I, I would because you are a coach, you you lead a team, you're also practicing yourself, uh, and, and you teach uh, at a national level. Um, this is a tough year for for realtors. I, I, I did meet somebody last night at a party, one of the top agents here in Chicago, who said he's up fifty percent, and he's the only person I know. <laughs> everyone else yeah. is is pretty much struggling. Who's been in the business long enough? And we were laughing, and he's like, "Yeah, I know. Everyone hates me because you know they, they they everyone else is down." But um, but it is a tough year, uh, yeah. I think, for a lot of us. And rates are up, inventory's down, I, and I know in New York, it's it's really tough with inventory. So. Yeah. What what are you doing to keep, or what are you telling your, your your students as well as your teammates to sort of keep them motivated and and you know moving forward when it's so easy to just to kind of go like, oh, this is just hard right now. Yeah, I, I really do believe that we have to have these conversations with ourselves about how are we going to move from where we are right now to a market that we know is going to get better, right? So first thing is to understand that this where we are right now is temporary question is, can you last through that time? If, is that an easy thing for you or is that a hard thing for you? Are you at, on your last dollar and, and not earning a living for another three months um, if you're not doing deals? Is that going to crush you? If it is, then let's either put a plan together so that you can find a different way to maneuver through this industry, are you you know are you are you doing rental deals rather than sales deals? Are you working on the the sell side versus the buy side? Right? Are there things that we can do to help you um, on a different path than you're on right now? Right? And then there are other agents who are like, yeah, I know I'm going to survive this. It's not an issue whether I'm going to survive this. It's a matter of how long this is going to be and what do I do in the meantime. And so what I tell agents is, first of all, there is and this is a almost cliche because so many people are saying it, but it's absolutely true. This idea that this is a skills-based market, right? I've, yes. you know, I've been listening to um, some of your other podcasts and we're, you know, you're talking about that, you know, the people running through 2021 and part of 2022, you know, you could just throw a, you know, a sign in a yard and you've got 30 people making offers, right? It was a market that did not require as much skill, certainly required skill but didn't require as much skill as the market that we're in now. Right now, not only are you competing to get that next listing and find that next buyer if you're on the listing side, 
but you're competing with a smaller amount of business um, and agents all fighting for that business. So how are you going to get a bigger piece to your point, this agent who's up 50%, how do you get a bigger piece of a shrinking pie? And that's where you need to really focus your energy, in my opinion, is if you if you go through, you've already figured out, look, this, this, in, this, this, the industry right now where we are, is not going to kill me. It's not going to take me down. So I know that I can make it through it. Now the question is, what do you do with this time? And if you can focus on getting a bigger slice of that shrinking pie, that's that's going to give you a goal to actually uh, maneuver towards or move towards. So you start doing things like understanding in a in a more deep and 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 higher level way um, your, the idea of negotiation of buyer psychology of 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 actually going into those pitches, and instead of getting one out of three or one out of two, you're getting every one. How are you going to increase your odds of getting each deal? How are you going to build loyalty with each and every buyer so that they end up being a deal rather than losing buyers here and there as you might be accustomed to doing? So how do you maximize the business that you do have and make sure that you win um, each and every time? Right. This go and this goes back to the the highest and best too. They're going to still be highest and best, but if you're more prepared, or if you're if you can prepare your buyers better, you're going to find yourself on the winning side of that highest and best more often than on the losing side. And my one of my old um, bosses used to call this spilling milk. Right. We when we're busy, when we have a lot going on, and we're just trying to keep every keep everything you know in our hands as we run forward. We are spilling milk left and right, but we don't really care about the milk that spills because by the end of the time we're stopped running, we still have enough milk to drink, right? We're just constantly going, going, going. Well, in a market that we're in right now, we don't want to spill milk. We want to make sure that we have as much milk. There may be less milk in the glass to begin with, so we don't want to lose more milk. And we can end that same journey with the same amount of milk. We just haven't spilled a lot of it. And that's what that's what I usually teach people in this market is, look, Let's figure out how you're going to make it to the next level because there will be another great market on the other side of this. But we do need to enhance our skills and create a, an environment where we win more often. I agree. And I, I think this is the time to really focus on skill-based activities because number one, most agents have a little bit more time to spend uh, with sharpening their, their skill set, uh, their tools. And also, this is a time where human nature for the most, for the majority of us, and I'm in the same category. Uh, so I'm not um, saying that, that this is a, a negative. It's just human nature is to want to, um, when things aren't as well, maybe re retreat a little bit and, right. and, you know, um, do less activity because maybe we're a little bummed out or, or we're so, so this is the, these are the times where you might have to force yourself to do a little bit more activity, but understanding that you're really doing your future self a huge favor by doing things today. And most agents are not most agents. I don't know what percentage of agents have, have, uh, reduced their activity. Um, but you know, I just know that when, when things are tough, um, you know, it's easier to not go into action. And so this is the time to, to get an accountability partner, get a coach, you know, and, and yeah. really work on those skills and those habits so that, you know, what you're doing today, a year, a year and a half from now, will start to yield fruit or, or however long, you know, the, the sales cycle is. Um, and but to, yeah, to add to that, um, you know, I think that oftentimes 
when we when we do find ourselves here where we're retreating, like you said, and we're we're doing a little bit le- a little bit less work than we know that we should be doing at the time. Sometimes the reaction to that from a lot of coaches in our industry or or a lot of managers is to tell you the things that you need to do. Um, and and oftentimes they highlight the things that you are least likely to want to do, right? So right. they basically say, these are the things you're not doing, and this is why you're not not successful. So you got to get out there and do all those things that you don't like to do because that's the way that you're going to break the cycle. Where I, you know, certainly we have to do things that we don't want to do, especially if we're sitting on a couch and and we find ourselves not working as hard as we should be working. But my approach is a little different. I want to identify the things that you love to do. And you may have found that your real estate career for two years, you were running around like a chicken with your head cut off. So you're just trying to just get to the next place and do the next deal. And you forget about what you love about this business, what you love about people, what you love about um, your knowledge, what you, you know, all the things that, that make this an attractive business. So my approach is to sit down and say, let's start with the things that you love and do a lot more of that. So I'd rather you do 100% more of something that you love than struggle to do 25% more of something you don't like. And it doesn't that, that have is, to be, yeah. I wanna pause you for a second because that is such a wise, a wise, wise statement. Doing more about what you, especially when you're you're in a more difficult position like we, we know a lot of agents are this year. Yes, we know we know it's a little bit of a bummer right now. And it's easy to retreat. So what we call it in DBT, stacking positives. Do the things that you right. already like to do. And here's why. Um, and, and I'm not. I'm not trying to, to tell uh, teach Eric anything. Obviously, he already no, knows I love this. But this. I love well, it. the only reason I'm mentioning this is I was just. I just learned this. So Gallup, um, the people who do lots of polling, they're a big polling company, as a lot of people know. They have this strength and weakness finder. And we had a professor from from Northwestern come in who's trained. And she uh, assessed our our strengths and weaknesses, and I think there was thirty eight of them. Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Whatever you were, your bottom five are, don't even try to improve those because she's like the data is really really clear that you can't. You can't. It's not how you're wired. It's really you maybe you can make them incrementally better, but do, like for example, her uh, most um, her biggest weakness was empathy, and she goes, "It's kind of funny. I wish I was empathic. I'm just not. It's how I'm built. So I don't try to pretend that I'm empathic. I I try to focus on all the other positives uh, things that I I do I have a strength." She goes, "So if you come to me for empathy, you're probably not going to get what you need." <laughs> but she goes, uh, "My partner happens is very high in, in empathy, and so she sort of balances uh, her her wife uh, balances it out. But the point is, is know what your strengths are, know what you like to do." Because you're right, it's much easier to get into action with the things that you want to do and you like doing, and then you can build from there. Exactly. You know, it's funny, the Strength Finder, the Gallup um, Strengths, um, their system, my, my brother and I are building online content for my coaching uh, company, and he's a certified Gallup Strengths. Oh, coach. that's funny. Oh, <laughs> yeah. what, a, what a small world. Yeah. Um, it's a great, it's a great assessment. And they're right on. I mean, this idea of of not doing the things that you don't excel at, but understanding, and this is great for interpersonal relationships too, as well. Right? I mean, when you when you are a manager or a coach or or a team leader or just an agent having interactions with clients, when you can look across and identify, when you know what your strengths are, mm-hmm. and you can start to identify potential strengths or or strengths that the other side has, then you start making connections. 
Or if they have different sets of strengths, you then can understand why. You know, if you've got somebody who's low on empathy or empathy is one of their lowest strengths, you can start to understand then why or how you need to communicate with them in order to have a more successful relationship rather than always butting heads because your strengths are completely different. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and and also, like you were saying, assessing the other person, especially like during presentations, you talked about buyer and seller presentations. And I think so many of us think about first, okay, we got to learn a script, we got to know what we're going to do when we get there. And we're probably realistically, we're probably doing the same kind of pitch every single time because we, 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 we've committed it to memory. We've done it hundreds of times, maybe if we've been in the business long enough and it has a certain success level. And we're like, Hey, I, I do close one out of every three uh, listing presentations I do. But if you're doing the same exact listing presentation each time, there's probably a missed opportunity there to get some yeah. feedback from the person on the other side of the table and then adjust your, your, uh, your strategy to better meet that person's needs, which probably means not doing the same presentation in the exact same way every single time. 100%. And this, I actually have a course that I teach through Archway Partners called The Decision Makers. And it's all about, so going back to the first thing we talked about, which is starting with the other side, identifying the other side's needs. What, it, what, it, who are they, right? So when we do a value proposition, we have to separate the, the make a, a huge distinction between what value proposition is and what a pitch is, right? We do a listings pitch. We call it a listings pitch. It's really a value proposition. The pitch is something you give in an elevator. It's generic. It could be to anybody, right? It's that thing that sells your product or service the best. Whereas a value proposition is something a little different or vastly different in that value proposition must be, in order for it to be at its, its most effective, it must be tailored to the decision maker to whom you are pitching. So are they an assertive driver? Are they a, 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 um, a collaborative feeler? Are they an expressive humanist? Are they an analytic thinker? What type of buyer is this or decision maker is this? And how are they best influenced, right? Are they data-driven? Do they love stories? And this is a huge aha, I think, for any negotiator is that when you go in and you, you've tailored that pitch. You, you know exactly what you're going to say, when you're going to say it. It's basically a script. You're forgetting the most important part, who the client is, yeah. right? Who are they? And when you, if you can hone that skill of identifying different buyer types or different, as I call them, decision maker types, you are going to find these, all of these new doors open up. And now you have this menu of benefits. And just like looking at a menu in a, in a, in a restaurant, you can start to pick the five, the six benefits that m convey the most utility to that specific decision maker. And you will find that your hit rate, your success rate is off the charts because now you're the, the person across the table feels like you're speaking directly to them and that you've got a window into their heart, their mind, their soul, whatever. You know, you've, you're just so much more impactful and persuasive when you know who you're, who it is that you're dealing with. It, and it's more intimate, and when I mean intimate, I mean connecting, because you have taken feedback from the other person. You are then processing that yourself and making adjustments to fit that person's worldview, their beliefs, uh, et cetera, their 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 values. And and I um I think you know 
if, if we think about this, because I, I hear realtors talk about this all the time, which is I don't like selling to a certain type of individual. I don't like selling to an analytic person because all they want is the numbers. It's not emotional. Other people love it. My point is, is what if you could learn how to speak their language? That's right. You, you'd, you, maybe you'd enjoy working with those agents or those clients more, but more importantly, maybe you'd just be more effective at it, which means you'd close more deals whether you like it or not. You're still going to come across people who aren't have the same sort of uh, way they process information and make decisions, like you were saying, the decision-making, sort of understanding the decision-makers and the strategies. And then wouldn't it be cool to go into a listing presentation or buyer presentation having like five or six different styles of pitches and then knowing, oh, this is this kind of person, I think I'm going to push the conversation more towards this because I know that this tends to sort of, you know, tickle the ivories of of that particular, um, you know, uh, thought process of, of that individual. That is incredible power as opposed to just going, oh, it's another one of these analytics people. I don't know how to do this. 100%. You're absolutely right. And in coaching, we call that flexing, right? So I can flex my approach to meet that person where they are. It's not, they're not being a jerk. You know, whatever label we put on them, they're a jerk. They're irrational. They're, they're, um, uh, they're crazy. You know, we put all of these labels on people because we don't know how to connect. So what you're you're saying is absolutely right. If we can flex our approach and go, okay, this is an assertive driver. They don't want to have a personal relationship with me. They're not going to ask me about my family and my kids and where I went to college. If they do ask me where I went to college, it's going to be to vet whether they believe the college that I went to is suitable for their needs. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I can, if, if I understand that about them, they're not mean, they come off as your typical negotiator, very competitive negotiator, but they are everybody acts in their own interests. And their interest is to hire the person that they believe is going to do the best possible job for them. They don't want a shrinking violet. They don't want somebody who's going to wind around telling stories or, or, or use puffery or BS them on, 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 a, on the answer to a question they don't know. They want you to be direct. They'd rather you say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. Or that's a great question. I know that you're going to want specifics. You're going to want details. I understand that. So before I answer the question, let me get you the specifics and the details that I know that you want so that I can give you an answer that's going to be, that's going to satisfy your needs. Imagine if our agent said that to us, we were a buyer or seller and we were an analytic and our agent said that to us, it would be like music to our ears. And now all of a sudden that trust component is going through the roof when you didn't think you could build trust with that person at all, you didn't think they would trust anybody. And now all of a sudden you've connected with them on, a, on their level. And so now they, they start to, that, that trust factor starts to go up and up and up and you change the relationship. Yeah. You just gave such a really specifically uh, excellent example in my opinion, because this idea of like, again, just using analytic people is, you know, saying to them, Hey, I understand you process information this particular way. I know you like a lot of information. That's important for you to make a decision. Therefore, I need to go back and put together this information in a way that's exactly how you want to see it so you can then take it and digest it. And people who are analytic understand that putting that data together takes time. So it actually gives you on the other side of the deal 
a lot less pressure to come up with the answer right then and there, which probably isn't going to be sufficient to satisfy their curiosity because unless you're just an encyclopedia of information and you're able to present it in the way that they want, but probably they want to look at something. They probably want to hold hold or at least look on a screen and see that you've put some work in so they can be like, this person speaks my language. It's actually brilliant because it's a win-win for everybody. It gets, lets you off the hook a little bit to feel like, Oh God, I don't know the answer right now. You're going to, you know, and you're going to say it to them in a way, which, most of the time they're going to go, Hey, that makes sense. Just get it to me in the next you know, day or two. And that would be, you know, I'll, I'll digest it. A hundred percent. And DJ, you said like the, the, the thing you said about they they'll want the time to go through the data, the research that you prepare. And, and this is where those, these, these moments where we understand that there's a different way of doing things come from, right? So we, if we are the kind of person where we're like, well, I want to get every, I feel like I need to get everything to them immediately right now. So if I say I'm going to take some time, I'm afraid they're going to be upset with me. Well, if you really understand an analytic thinker, then you'll know that they're very slow to make decisions. Once they make a decision, they commit to it and they're full bore, but they want to take that extra time. In fact, what I say to, to people who take my decision makers class, when we're talking about how to influence a, an analytic thinker, you say, you, if, if you're, if you're going to meet with them at noon, don't, don't plan a 2 p.m. meeting. If you're going to meet with them at three, ask them if they want to go out to dinner after your three-hour meeting. Don't plan something an hour after you have a meeting with an analytic thinker because you are going to end up in the last 15 minutes of that meeting, whether it's an hour later or two hours later, going, oh my God, how am I going to get to my next appointment? You're going to start to rush them psych- yeah. you know, subconsciously because you're rushed and then you ruin, ruin all the relationship building and all the trust that you've been building for two hours goes out the window because you got to get out the door to another appointment. So if you're going to meet with an analytic thinker, set the entire morning aside or set the entire afternoon aside. They may not need it, but you're not going to ever feel like you are rushing them to a decision. And, and to your point that with the data, they will accept the fact that you need time to put together the data and the research and the way that they want to view it and the way they want to consume it. And if they believe that we're on a tighter timeline, they will let you know. Absolutely. And these are, these are, Things that, again, we know our own worldview, we know our own uh, processes for making decisions, well, some of us know, and others of us maybe aren't, aren't as clued into our own uh, ways in which we, we make decisions, but this is a really a skill set and a knowledge set that you need to uh, consider uh, adding because it's only going to make every interaction you have with a client or the other side of a transaction go hopefully more smoothly because yeah. you're going to be able to identify uh, there's key identifiers in the way people speak in, in the, in the way they reveal themselves to you, which sometimes is conscious versus unconscious. There's, there's lots of cues that uh, somebody who is trained on how to identify these cues, verbal cues, nonverbal cues that, that we can actually start to paint a picture maybe without the person even necessarily being fully aware that we're putting them in a category. Um, we're doing it because that's, that's how human beings classify things. Um, but it's how we make, it's how we can make adjustments and say, Oh, this person's starting to fall into this category. I'm getting a better sense of what they may want to see or hear. Um, so all of this is, it's all skills. And these are things that I, I can almost assure you, uh, you probably haven't been taught unless you have sought it out on your own. And so this is a great point to to remind everyone who's listening. If you're an agent in the New York area and you're looking for a, a team with this kind of information that they can impart to you, 
or if you're an agent from anywhere in the country that's looking to get some coaching, uh, Eric would love the opportunity to speak with you. His coaching company is Archway Partners, Inc., and of course, his uh, his team over at Brown's Harris-Stevens is always looking for agents in the area to possibly join up uh, on the team as well. So please check those two places out. Um, Eric, I wanted to ask you, too, mm-hmm. about what what do you – what were there – now actors are taught how to do this I, in, in your backgrounds in acting. So I know there's, you know, there's different uh, styles of, 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 of or, or different uh, philosophies of, of acting. There's sort of the Strasbourg. I only know a couple. I'm not an actor, but there's a Strasbourg method. There's, there's method acting. I think that's mm-hmm. Strasbourg, but there's uh Uda Hagen. There, there's a, there's a few of them that, yeah, that you maybe, guys, you're, these are some good polls right here. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. Well, I, my knowledge is, 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 uh, is very uh, uh, shallow. So I know that's it. That's all I know. I don't know how to do any of it, but but this is important because I, I was listening to uh, some actors talking about um, how they really uh, pay a lot of attention to the other actors in the scene to then get cues on how to then react, what to do with their hands, what to just how to sort of be in the scene, but. Uh, really sort of memorizing their own lines if they have them to then forget them so that they can be present for whatever's going on in the scene and understanding that there's an interpersonal play between the actors who are, you know, not just reciting lines and walking here and there when they're supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. And don't now keep in mind, I'm a real estate agent. So, you know, you may not want to trust my acting advice because it didn't work out so well for me, but no, you're absolutely right. You know, we always say acting is reacting, right? And this is the same thing. This is one of the skills, I think, why you see a lot of actors who who end up in the real estate world, because one of the attributes, one of the skills they bring to this career is being able to read people or being able to react um, to people in a moment. And, and that's, there is a skill to that. So certainly I think that, um, you know, one of my, one of my junior agents on my team runs a, a women's improv company, hmm. this woman. So, so she, she spent, uh, a many, many years. She was an actress and a singer, and now she runs an improv company. Well, her, this idea of, she loves role-playing. So when we are, when we're talking and we're working through a situation, she's working with a, with a client. And um, she's looking for some advice. I will present some options for her, some ideas, you know, for her and say, what do you think? What would you do? And so we'll work through that. And then what she'll always want to do after we've settled on what we think the next move is, she'll say, okay, let me workshop this with you. And then she'll go and she'll tell me how she's going to say it when she gets on the phone or in person with the client or the co-broker or whoever it is. So she's constantly role-playing so that it sets, it sits and it, and it, it, and it, um, sinks in for her. So there, and a lot of people, I would say that, you know, I, I'm a big fan of role-playing in my, in my negotiation courses, we end the certified negotiation expert, the core concepts course with a, with a big role-play, we role-play a deal, right? I got buyers, agents, and listing agents. They get their, all the, 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 um, the backstory of their client. They know the, the uh, subject property specifics and all the comps, and we have them negotiate a deal. And it's, a, it's the, how we culminate all of this. It's the culmination of all of the learning in this course. So I'm a big fan of role-playing, but if you, if you are someone who knows an actor in real estate or who is hung out with an actor, if you can use them as a role play partner, get out of your comfort zone 
And this is when we talk about the at-bats, right? You're going to hit more singles, hit more home runs, hit more doubles. You're going to hit more if you have been practicing before you step up to the plate, right? That is just, that's just something we all know. If we're prepared to have that conversation, to deal with the objections, all of that stuff, if we're prepared when we get into a real life scenario, because we've been role-playing, our rate of success or our likelihood of success goes up significantly. So I, I would highly recommend to anybody, any of your listeners, if you're not role-playing, if you don't have an accountability partner or a manager that will help you role-play through scenarios, um, well, first of all, take my class uh, and then you'll be in the whole um, Rennie Advantage Facebook community and you can role-play with other certified negotiation experts. But it's a big, big help to be able to, to flex that muscle and to practice. Uh, yeah, and role playing to me is, you know, really the only way I know to practice it because it's it's funny. We we were just practicing. We were getting media trained at our local association here because I, I serve on some committees and occasionally we are asked to do media uh, interviews and, and things. So, and, and I was like, oh, I do podcasts. I know, <laughs> right. I know how to do this. And so they gave us some tips and some things, and and I went okay. I kind of know all that. And then we role played, and I sat with a, a, a fake reporter who was pretending uh, I was on on screen for like a TV spot. And I said, I don't need to practice this. I got it. I know how to talk. I can I can BS my way through this. And about thirty seconds in, I was like, Oh my god, I did not prepare it any at all for this. I am out of things to say. I thought I could wing it, and I've done 500 of these episodes. Doesn't mean I'm a good, uh, inherently a good interviewer um, or a good interviewee, but I certainly was like, "Oh, that's right, you got to practice." So practicing is everything. So even if you're, as Eric is, 17 years in the business, um, role playing is still great because it'll yeah. it'll force you to do the things that you're not very good at, um, and and cause you to, as as you said, move outside of your ex uh, your your, um, your comfort zone. I also want to mention one other just practical as I'm a marketer. So I, I wanted to mention why I think the certified negotiation expert is from a marketing perspective and from a skills-based perspective, it's, it's an absolute win. But mm -hmm. even if you're just looking at it as from a marketing perspective, I, as far as all the designations go, and there's lots of wonderful ones, I'm not saying one is any better than another, but I, and I shouldn't say, but, and, um, I do think the certified negotiation expert, uh, designation is a very marketable one because it allows you to actually say, hey, I've got this thing and only maybe 1% of all the realtors in the country have it or whatever the percentage is. It's mm -hmm. not much higher than 1%, I suspect. So yeah. it allows you to really differentiate yourself to arguably one of the most important uh, skills in the game of being a real estate agent, which is, of course, negotiation. So being able to communicate that to a client yes. – um, and say, hey, it's something that they can understand without knowing anything about our our industry. And so there's just a really nice, it's very on the nose. It's exactly what it is. I'm a negotiation expert. And um, then you can actually talk about it in a way where I think it will help sort of differentiate yourself from from other other agents. You're, that's right. And 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 you're you it sounds like you were in you've been in my class because that's exactly how we describe it, right? And in, in some cases. The biggest value that some agents get out of my class, and I, and I think there's so many, there's so much value in it. There are so many things that you can that you can take from this class, whether you've been an agent in the business for three decades or three months. It is a class that that it, that is accessible 
for new agents, but it's also high level for those who have been negotiating for, for several years. But sometimes what um, my agents get out of the class is a new way to your exact point, PJ, a new way to, um, to convey this information to their client, to have the conversation, to, to um, explain how they strategize and how they work through negotiations so that your client knows when they're no longer in the room, when they're no longer standing next to you, that you are going to be advocating for them, that you are going to be um, cooperative, as you mentioned earlier, cooperative, but assertive, that you have a plan in place and that you're going to be able to execute on that plan. So just being able to convey your strategy to a client in a, in a, in a sound um, a cogent, effective way is very, very important. But, um, but, but this, I mean, this, the, this, the CNE designation, the logo is also just a door opener, right? So when they see it, it's in your marketing materials, it's in your auto signature. Now you can have a conversation. It brings up the idea of negotiation. And now you can highlight the importance and what studies show is negotiation skills are more important to our clients than marketing and market analysis. It is the highest skill that we can provide our, our, our clients. Now, uh, in practice, it's one of the, we score lower than most anything in negotiation skills in the eyes of our client. And that's where there's this opportunity. If you can learn this skill, if you can master this skill, you will separate yourself from, you know, to your point, 98% of the agents in the, in this country. I think too, this other, I was thinking as you were saying this, that why, why is the negotiation part so critical? And I, I think obviously it's because it's about money usually, but, um, and it's about the transaction and winning, winning the deal or earning the deal. However, I was also thinking, um, maybe the certified negotiation expert, uh, sort of skill set comes really into play when a transaction gets tough, because I, yeah. I would assume that the vast majority of the most stressful moments, the most emotionally trying parts of a transaction have got to be during the negotiation. Cause there, there could be a time where the deal might fall apart or it feels like it might fall apart. The client might be freaking out going, Oh my God, I, maybe I'm making the wrong decision. Maybe I'm giving up too much. So that that's probably a highly stressful time emotionally. It's the least fun time I would think for the client usually, unless maybe you're on the list side, I guess maybe, you know, if you're selling a property, maybe it's a little bit more fun, but on the buy side, certainly it's tough. And so I was just thinking, I bet those skills come into play to help calm everything down as you're going through the stressful times. You're right. You're right. And and we we talk about the, this comes out of the book, Getting to Yes, is it, um, uh, William Urey and Roger Fisher, who wrote one of the seminal works in collaborative negotiation, a book called Getting to Yes. And they talk about this, what's called the SAM model. And, you know, this the S is the stand. It's where we positionally bargain. It's where we you know, it's no, I won't. Yes, yes, you will. No, I won't. It's the stand that we all take to not be moved off of our position. We don't want to be thrown one direction or another. So we anchor in, we put, we take a stand. I will not sell my apartment for less than $700,000. Come hell or high water. That's a stand, right? I need to understand what the area, actual area of concern is and what is emotionally driving this, uh, this stand. Right. So that's the S, A and the M, the stand, the area of concern and the emotional motivators, the M. So you're right. It's about 
understanding people. It's about when at the, when they're at their most anxious, their most frustrated. It's not getting caught in positional bargaining, but understanding what their actual area of concern is by asking questions. And then it's about communication and offering options. People do not like to be backed into a corner. They don't like to feel like they're backed into a corner. They want options. And so at the hardest moment of the deal, when you're communicating well with your client and you are looking at all the value elements that could be a possible uh, way to get successfully get the transaction done, when you've identified what we call, or as Harvard calls your BATNA, your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. If you have a strong BATNA, if you have a, which is plan B, right? If you have a strong plan B and you're communicating and you're providing options, now your client feels empowered. And instead of feeling like they're backed into a corner or like they have no options, now you make them feel like, hey, if this doesn't work out, it's going to be because we didn't meet our minimum goals. So if plan A is not going to work for us, let's move on to plan B. As opposed to getting into highest and best after highest and best and feeling like you're just like a rag doll getting thrown around. We have the power to help our clients remain resilient and empowered. And we do that by communicating with them in the hardest of times in the deal, just like you said. And having, like you said, having options. And also you said something very, very profound that I want to make sure our audience uh, noticed. And if not, I'm going to, I'm going to step on it a little bit in a good way um, is have, <laughs> is, is, is uh, we, we, there's a skill in DBT. We call it cope ahead. I almost forgot it. And basically if this doesn't go the way we want, here is what we will do and getting their buy-in client buy-in. Hey, does this make sense? You know, I'm sure you're getting buy-ins all the time, but saying, here's what we're going to try. Here's what we're going to do. Here's why we think it will work. If it doesn't, here's another alternative that we are going, here's our plan B. Right. And, and ha- even just having a plan B is very empowering because all of a sudden now when option A doesn't work out, no big deal. We've got option B. That's and right. and it's, it's most agents, I think, I don't know, I, I shouldn't speak for any other agents, but I think a lot of agents probably don't have a plan B, you know, when they're putting offers in they have it or or if they have one maybe they haven't effectively communicated it to the client because they go i don't really want my client to think that plan a might not work so i just gonna i'm gonna mention right. if it doesn't if it doesn't i'll deal with it when it happens that's probably not a, a strong strategy um uh, because there are going to be times when you obviously when you don't get what you want and and making sure that the client already knows we we, we have another option here um, that, that is profound. And I am really, really glad that you said that. Uh, these are all Thank skills. You. Again, this is, this is a skills-based yeah. conversation and we're, we're focusing a lot on it because guys, skills win the game. The found yeah. the fundamentals win the game. Um, so these are all things you can learn. That's the best part. You don't have to be good at it. You just have to be willing to, to, to practice. 100%. And, Eric, you know, he can teach you in a number of different ways. If you're an agent in New York City, consider joining his team at Brown Harris Stevens. I mean, he'll teach it to you one on one. He also, if you're not in the New York City area, which of course uh, most of our audience is not, um, he can teach you uh, any anytime. So you can mm-hmm. visit his website, Archway Partners Inc. I- I'm going to have links to all of this, and you can become one of his coaching clients. And also, you should consider getting your certified negotiation expert certification, which um, you can do at uh, at Rennie, and we will have a link to the Rennie 
um, uh, website so that uh, so that you can see when their classes are available and you can take one from Eric. Um, but Eric, I think this is a great place to stop because I could talk to you all day and you don't have all me day too. to speak to me. No, I love this. The- Thank you so much, DJ. This is, <laughs> this is so great. Oh, this was so much fun for me. This is I, I would not say that I have necessarily the skills you're talking about. However, I appreciate that those are skills that any one of us can learn and we should consider learning those. And these are the soft skills that really can can win the game, push the ball over that one yard line. And they're, they might even feel a little bit like magic once you learn them because you're going to be unlocking things that are invisible to other people. And when you oh, learn sure. to unlock what's the, the invisible, which becomes visible to to you, um, it just be, I think everything just becomes more fun and your, your hit rate is going to go up. Your success rate is going to improve. Your clients will be happier. It, it's really, it just makes, it'll make your life a little bit less hard. So if, if it's, if you're not going to be motivated to do it because how exciting it is, think about just reducing the stress and anxiety in your life. This will allow you to do that. So consider one way or the other, uh, getting your CNE certification for whatever your motivation strategy is. But um, this is the time to level up our skills. A lot of agents are leaving the industry. A lot of agents are pulling back uh, on their efforts because you know they're maybe a little bummed out. Now is the time to to find that grit within us and 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 do something fun. Do something fun like learn a new skill. Um, do some of the activities, as Eric said, that you do enjoy doing, just to sort of get you up and up and at them and then consider adding in some of these skills. And and let's let's all get a coach this year. Let's let's. Let's find a coach uh, because this is the time. We, 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 all we all you ever have to think about is every professional athlete on the planet has a coach. So the very best athletes in the planet have coaches. You probably need one too. Let's get one. And even if you can't afford it, you know, consider finding a way to afford it because this is going to help your skills. And it's coaching is mostly about skill. So let's help develop everyone's skill. Consider getting your CNE designation. Consider working with Eric directly, whether you're in New York to jump on his team or you're anywhere else in the country and you just need a coach, get a coach. So we will have uh, Eric's information all throughout our, our description. Archwaypartnersinc.com is where you can learn about his coaching program. Thereni.com, R-E-N-I, is where you can learn about becoming a certified negotiation expert. And there's other designations they can teach you there as well. Eric uh, teaches with them. And please follow Eric on his uh, social media channels, Eric, the expert, E-I-R-I-K, the expert, Instagram, YouTube in particular. We'll have links to all of that again in the description. Eric, I really loved chatting with you. Um, Thank you so much on behalf of our audience for coming on our show today. We appreciate you and your time. And on behalf of Eric and myself, we also want to thank our lovely audience who made its way all the way to the end of this great conversation. Please, as always, the best way you can help us, tell a friend. Think of one other agent that could use this skills-based conversation and please send this to them. In fact, send it to every agent that you know. We would really appreciate it. But just have to do it with one. That's all we ask. Um, Helps us continue to reach more people. So thank you. uh, Thank you, Eric. And we will see everybody on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks, DJ. Oh, oh, oh.